My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. and there's lots of diverse families in that neighborhood. He posted up in front of these schools with transphobic sandwich boards, specifically attacking trans kids. So when we saw this, we were disgusted. That just felt like an attack on the community. That's the voice of Natalie Jacket. They're today's guest on Talking Radical Radio. This show brings you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are involved in many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening can strengthen all of our efforts to change the world. Jacket is a fourth-year undergraduate student in legal studies at Carleton University in Ottawa. They're also the trans event coordinator for Rainbow Ottawa Student Experience, or ROSE, which was known until recently as Rainbow Carleton. The group began as a Discord server organized by Carleton's official LGBTQ student group early in the COVID-19 pandemic as a way for queer and trans students to connect while in-person campus services were shut down. It soon became an independent group and in November extended its mandate to include students throughout the city. One of the group's concerns has been the increase in transphobia in recent years. Struggles by trans people and their allies have won some ground over the last decade in terms of things like public visibility and understanding of trans issues, formal human rights protections, somewhat improved access to gender-affirming health care, and the reduction of certain kinds of administrative barriers in some jurisdictions. However, the impacts of those victories remain modest in scope and unevenly experienced. In most places in Canada, for instance, trans people still face significant barriers in accessing gender-affirming healthcare. Research in one Ontario region in 2019 found trans people were more than eight times as likely as cis people to be unemployed and looking for work, and it's been broadly found that trans people are much more likely to be low-income and to face employment discrimination. Many trans people have experienced transphobic physical, sexual, or verbal attacks, and 64% of trans people report avoiding certain kinds of public spaces to avoid being harassed or outed. As well, in the last few years, there has been a dramatic resurgence of virulent anti-trans politics around the world, notably including in the US and the UK. At least so far, this has been less present in Canada, but there are signs that it's growing. Jacket cites a marked increase in attacks on trans people in the Ottawa community, and renewed efforts by anti-trans campaigners to frame trans people as somehow a threat to women and children, and to deny people, especially young people, gender-affirming healthcare. There has also been an alarming increase in anti-trans content in the Canadian mainstream media in the second half of 2021. According to Jacket, the increase in attacks on trans people in Ottawa has catalyzed significant organizing in response within trans and broader LGBTQ plus communities in the city, including a major public forum in early October, which resulted in a call for City Hall to take action against transphobic hate. About a week after that forum, members of Rose noticed via social media that British Columbia-based insurance salesman and anti-trans agitator Billboard Chris Elston was in the city, and using his sandwich board and other means to spread anti-trans misinformation and hate. Initially, he seemed to be sticking to standard protest spots, Parliament Hill, the Byward Market, and so on, and members of Rose were content to keep an eye on him, but let him be. 
Then, he moved to a residential neighborhood known for having lots of diverse families, as well as a high density of schools in a small area, thereby essentially targeting trans kids and their families. So Rose decided to act. The plan was simple. They would mobilize their members together with flags, blankets, banners, and other obstructions, and they would block all view of Elston and his message. Around 50 of their members responded, and their action was successful. When he returned in the afternoon to try again, with a gaggle of far-right hangers-on, not only were there even more Rose members present, but they were unexpectedly joined by dozens of high schoolers mobilized by the gay-straight alliance clubs in the nearby high schools. In this instance, at least, community members defended themselves, and collective action shut down transphobic hate. I speak with Jacket about transphobia in Canada, about Rainbow Ottawa and their recent action, and about what it looks like to be in solidarity with trans people. My name is Nat. I'm a fourth-year undergraduate legal studies student at Carleton. I've lived in Ottawa for three and a half years, and I have been a member of Rainbow Carleton for about a year and a half, two years. Currently, I am the trans event organizer at Rainbow Carleton. And we have now rebranded and expanded our focus. So we're now called ROSE, which is Rainbow Ottawa Student Experience. And we're doing all post-secondary institutions in Ottawa, servicing them. We started as a Discord channel at the beginning of the pandemic, just for like queer students at Carleton to meet each other. And then we ended up expanding extremely quickly during the summer and went from like around 200 students to nearly 500. We're starting to do like service delivery in terms of like organizing events like picnics, clothing exchanges for trans folks. We're doing gender affirming gear program. So we're providing funds for people to buy gaffes, binders, makeup, things like that. And then we're also doing advocacy now and community outreach. I've always been like a politically minded person. I actually come from a very conservative, Christian, upper middle, upper class household. So my politics were very, very different six years ago. Around the time when I started to realize, oh, you know, I'm queer and I'm like gay and I'm bisexual or I'm trans. My politics definitely started to adjust more to that. Realizing that there is baggage and trauma that comes from being, you know, a white, wealthy, suburbanite, conservative family and being trans and raised Christian. I went from being conservative to, I don't know what you would call me now, probably a progressive or like a Marxist or something like that. I don't know. In terms of like organizations or political organizing I've done before, I've been active in different marches and small organizing in Ottawa. So like Black Lives Matter Ottawa chapter, I went out to a couple of their programs and I've donated a disability advocacy group at Carleton. I've also helped with Saving the Hunt Club Forest, which is another little Ottawa group that's trying to save part of our green belt. But yeah, just mostly community organizing and just small things here and there. Tell me a bit more in general terms about Rainbow Carleton slash Rainbow Ottawa student experience. So Carleton does have like a student union, the Carleton University Students Association. And through them, they have a gender and sexuality resource center. It's called the GSRC. So Rainbow Carleton and now Rose, Rainbow Ottawa Student Experience, grew out of volunteers from the GSRC. When the pandemic happened, all student services were basically paused and stopped. Everything was shut down. There was nothing. 
So there was a shift online and for the GSRC, volunteers at it ended up creating the Discord server and then just inviting friends to it. So it kind of started out just as like a friend space and then it started expanding. It broke off from the GSRC fairly early in its trajectory. It was very, very focused on creating community during the pandemic for queer Carlton students. It grew slowly for the first year and a half. But then at the start of this year, our membership just kind of blew up. And I don't really know why or how that happened, but it was awesome to see. And then coinciding with that was also things happening in the community, which were, you know, community building. About eight months ago, there was a transphobic poster campaign all throughout Ottawa, where there were these posters placed on like light posts and on like poster boards of basically just like hate speech and just like hateful rhetoric towards trans people. So there was a bit of counter-organizing and all of those posters were taken down and were replaced with trans messages of power and like trans love. I think the organization that spearheaded that was Trans is Beautiful. And then there's also some community leaders and just people in the community who are noticing like an uptick in transphobic hate, just blatant attacks on our community. Somebody ended up making a map of all of the places where there were attacks on trans folks in the community just to like educate and to help protect ourselves. And this was all in the months leading up to this fall and the protest with Billboard Chris. And so there was a lot of community organizing. This culminated in the Safer Streets panel, I think, which was on October 3rd, in which a number of community leaders basically were talking about the acts of violence that we've been experiencing in Ottawa. And what formulated from that was a call to action to City Hall to like denounce transphobic hate in the community. So that's kind of the roots of our organization and then the roots of our advocacy. Like we as members of the community have been both experiencing this and then have been seeing the need to organize and fight back against it. So before we get into talking about your recent successful action, let's put it in the larger context, which is a growth in transphobia and anti-trans politics that goes far beyond just the local level in Ottawa. For about, I don't know, let's say 10 years, there's been substantial and significant progress in trans issues. Gender expression is now a protected part of the Canadian Human Rights Act. There's definitely been more access to healthcare and more doctors and physicians and primary care providers being trained in like trans issues and just like general overall acceptance of the community. But I think as the larger societal acceptance has happened, there's also been this negative counter reaction to this that's also grown and become more organized in their thoughts, opinions, ideas, beliefs, and actions. I don't want to say that this has been just in the last one or two years, transphobia has really gotten really bad because to be honest, we live in a deeply transphobic society and a deeply misogynistic society and a deeply homophobic society. It's not like five years ago, all trans people were having like a really great time. That's not the case. It's just in the past year to two years, it, it seems like there's a lot of it like seeping into Canadian media. And especially in the past like four months, since like maybe September, it's like every single day there seems to be a news article, some sort of talking head, politician, I don't know, celebrity saying something just disheartening. 
disheartening when you get it over and over and over again, because like we as trans people are very attuned to that hate. And talk about the relationship between those troubling changes in Canada and what's been happening for trans people in the U.S. and the U.K. There's a certain level of vitriol in the U.K. that hasn't penetrated Canada. And there's a certain level of just blatant hate in the United States that also hasn't really penetrated Canada to a large degree. Like, it's not politically relevant. Like, maybe there are people who have closeted anti-trans views in Canada, but for the most part, it isn't, like, socially acceptable to just go around and say something ridiculous like, you know, trans kids shouldn't have access to healthcare, right? Most people would consider that to be, like, a ridiculous assertion. But in the UK, especially, it's been quite normalized and trans issues have been framed as antithetical to women's or gay rights, which as a bisexual trans woman, that is so surprising to me that anybody could be like, these are separate issues and they're treading on each other because it's not how it is at all. A good example of this is trans healthcare is literally just like women's healthcare and like queer healthcare generally. Like, who is the largest consumer of trans-related healthcare? Well, it's actually cis women and cis men. If you're in menopause, you're going to be prescribed estradiol. And we know that this is a safe medicine for trans people to use because so many cis women going through menopause are using it. We know how to do breast reduction surgery for trans mask people and for trans men because there are so many women out there who are getting breast reduction surgery. We know how to do vaginoplasties because, again, there are so many cis women who want that. In all fairness, the only reasonable basis for denying trans people access to these procedures in this healthcare that cis people are afforded is due to some sort of essentialist notion of, you know, trans people not being who they claim to be, which is, you know, kind of antiquated if you have any knowledge on what gender is. What other forms are anti-trans sentiment and organizing taking, specifically in the Canadian context? The focus of the transphobes generally is on, like, think of the women, think of the children, etc., etc. Very, very strategically erasing the existence of trans men and different experiences like non-binary folks. And it's very much a hyper-focus on trans women and the threat that they pose to, like, women and kids in general. And then even more so, the threat to, like, children. Like, people don't give children the credit that they're due in terms of having agency and having the ability to like know who they are and perceive the world around them for what it really is like we don't relate to children enough and we don't take their needs into consideration in the medical sense and how it applies to trans children specifically is that we say oh like you cannot possibly make this decision because you can't comprehend the world you can't comprehend what damage this is going to do to your body or what damage this is going to do to you psychologically and they are fundamentally not understanding the trans experience when they say something like that because to trans people going through their assigned puberty it can be as physically and mentally damaging to them as if it were to take a cis person and force them to go under transition. Because that's essentially what's happening here, is that you're saying, well, this kid is trans or thinks that they're trans, and they want access to this gender-affirming care. And we're going to deny that to them, despite the mental anguish or the physical anguish that's going to cause them. 
And so it's inherently devaluing the trans experience as less valid than, you know, what cis people experience, which is obviously comfort in their gender, right? And it kind of makes sense because most people are cis, right? Trans people are a very, very small minority of the population. Like they're even a small minority within the greater queer population. And it becomes difficult for them to like advocate for themselves, especially when, you know, there is active erasure happening in the medical system specifically. So who is Billboard Chris? And what did Rainbow Carlton slash Rose do when he showed up in Ottawa back in October? Billboard Chris showed up in Ottawa about a week after there was a panel from queer and trans community leaders in Ottawa discussing transphobic hate within the community. So he basically showed up at the absolute worst time he could have ever showed up because we as a community were in a state of readiness and preparedness. Like we had already gotten together and been discussing about how these incidents were happening with greater frequency and intensity. And then he shows up. He had flown from Vancouver. He's like a prolific kind of transphobe. And during the whole JK Rowling, like transphobic comments, he bought billboards in a number of cities saying, I heart JK Rowling, which was basically just a random act of standing with transphobic people. But my friend and colleague Ceres had spotted him in the Byword market and on Parliament. And that's where he spent his first day. And for the most part, you can go to Parliament or Byword in downtown and like be a crazy person and nobody's gonna give a shit because that's kind of neutral ground. Parliament, Byword, the United States Embassy, Rideau Hall, right? Where you would expect there to be protests against the establishment. So like he was downtown and that wasn't a big deal to us. It was like, oh, just another transphobe downtown. And I know that's, you know, terrible to say, but like trans people put up with a lot. So like that was just par for course. So yeah, downtown is neutral. And then on his second day in Ottawa, he decided that he was going to come into the community, specifically he came to Broadview Avenue, which is the street that has two high schools and a public school. So within like a kilometer, there's 3000 students. It's a really big neighborhood and there's lots of diverse families in that neighborhood. He posted up in front of these schools with transphobic sandwich boards, specifically attacking trans kids. So when we saw this, we were disgusted. The moment you're coming into the community, that's like our space. And so that just felt like an attack on the community and specifically an attack on kids, specifically trans kids. And we just thought it was one of the most disgusting, abhorrent things you could ever do. Go out of your way to just target kids walking to school. So he spent, I think it was Monday, harassing students and harassing parents. And a number of parents from the community ended up showing up and tying some messages of trans love to like light posts and trees and stuff like that. And a number of them were arguing with him. And then he said that he was going to come back for a second day. And we thought like, hey, we have nearly 150 trans folks and like 500 queer folks that we just have on speed dial. We can set up a real quick counter protest to this guy and show the community that we as post-secondary students are here to protect trans kids in the community. But then also that this message of hate is not accepted within our city. 
We made posters. We brought blankets and flags and showed up before any of the schools were in session. And he was planning on doing two protests on Tuesday at the times that the kids funnel in and out of the schools. So when we showed up in the morning, we were there with a number of other folks. There were some school board trustees. There were some parents from the community. There was a counselor. We had the MPP from Ottawa Center show up. I think we probably had maybe 50 or so of our members from Rainbow Ottawa. We kind of used our bodies and our massive presence to make sure that his transphobic imagery and signs sandwich board like wasn't able to be seen by any of the students or parents who were walking to school. We took our blankets, we took our pride flags and just basically like wrapped them around him and completely surrounded him. Not that we prevented his movement, but we made it very, very difficult for him to do his planned parade of the three schools in the area. And after 45 minutes, he basically got frustrated that nobody was getting his message and he packed up and left. For the second protest that day, because he, after, you know, about 100 folks showing up to counter protest him, thought it would be a good idea to come back to the schools at 2.30 with a little entourage of, I don't know, Gavin McInnes looking motherfuckers and like some PPC hat wearing douchebags. Like these, these guys were like an absolute parody of themselves. Just literal pure parody. So they showed up with an entourage. And at that time, the high schools were being let out. And the GSAs, so the Gay Straight Alliances from the high schools, had noticed what we were doing. And they had organized and brought out all of the queer high schoolers. And so our group of what was like 100 people in the morning quickly swelled to like a group of 200 people plus because like all of these high school students had come out. So in that second protest in the afternoon, they were here for maybe 15 minutes, maybe closer to 10 minutes. And they were just completely overwhelmed by the support for trans kids that the community was showing. And we basically ran them out of town. It was really kind of inspiring to see, one, the support from the community at large and the political leaders within the city, but then also to see parents from the community show this like outpouring of like, thank you. And it was a real good experience for creating those links between like progressive politicians and the progressive leaders through different organizations and direct action groups. And then also just like folks who go to the school or have kids that go to the school or are tired of seeing transphobia in the city. So that was really great. What kinds of lessons do you take from this experience of collectively confronting transphobia? And what kinds of collective responses are necessary beyond this kind of direct confrontation? There were five or six news stories that ran about the counter-protest. And I think the CBC news story ended up printing out what his sandwich boards said. And they were blatantly transphobic messages that had inaccurate science on them and inaccurate medical descriptions of what transition is. So I think people just need to be like generally educated more on trans issues and just on issues of the larger queer community. One of Billboard Chris's reasons that he was protesting is because he disagrees with gender ideology being taught in schools. And he thinks that kids are being infected with the trans juice by learning about different gender identities in school, which is like ridiculous. People don't become trans by learning about trans folks. 
the only thing that trans healthcare and learning about trans folks does is benefit people who are trans and benefit the greater community in terms of their acceptance towards them. So saying like, hey, there should be no education on gender in schools is an erasure of trans people. It's a ploy to keep them in the closet. It's not going to stop people from existing, but that's at the end of the day what their goal is. Their goal is to make it so difficult to transition, so difficult to get gender affirming care, and so difficult to get education that trans people are effectively erased or they stay in the closet due to fear of repercussion or not getting acceptance through their community. Through this counteraction and through this protest, we're saying, hey, you are accepted within the community. You are a person who deserves to live and deserves to have access to the care you need, because that's kind of the minimum that we're all due in a society. In terms of responding to transphobia, I think we all need to do our best to like identify what transphobia is. The one big thing is medical gatekeeping, but then there's the smaller things like not accepting. uh, I mean, actually, you know what? These aren't even smaller things. These seriously affect people's lives. Accepting trans people into like spaces that they are due or building the infrastructure for trans people even. Like it's really difficult to be middle of the way through your transition or early transition and like go and swim or go and work out. Most trans people, and me included, before I started transitioning, I thought about it and said, am I going to be okay not going to the gym for possibly two, three years? Am I okay with not being able to swim for two or three years? Because I know that I'm putting myself in disproportionate harm or danger by entering those spaces as a trans person. And we got to recognize that creating inclusive spaces... That's the very least we can do to accommodate for trans people. And people who say like, oh, trans women shouldn't be in women's bathrooms, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. Like build non-gendered bathrooms then. We should be building that infrastructure to make everybody feel included. When the disability rights movement was happening in like the 1960s and 70s, one of the big things was like building the infrastructure, building sidewalk cutouts, building toilets that are easier to access, building elevators, right? I think that's kind of an approach that we need for thinking about trans issues. How do we build the infrastructure in the community to account for trans lives? I want people to know that if you're a trans person, you basically experience transphobia every day, multiple times per day. And people who are cis or people who are straight don't realize all of these little things that affect trans people. And so it's like, just seriously be conscious in your everyday lives of the way transphobia presents itself and the way that it permeates within our society because our world is heavily heteronormative and black and white when it comes to like issues of sex and gender. And very, very seldom are trans lives taken into account when we create the structures that we all have to abide by. You have been listening to my interview with Natalie Jacket of Rainbow Ottawa Student Experience. To find out more about the organization, go to roseottawa.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. 
On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. Thank you.